This is the third part of our study of the Psalm of Creation from Psalm 104. Like Psalm 103, Psalm 104 begins the same way. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Again, to recap, Psalm 103 praises God for his work in history, and Psalm 104 praises God for his work in creating and sustaining this world. We began with verse 1 with an inscription. And then in verses 2 through 30, we have the psalmist outlining the creative works of God. We're introduced to the first day, which was the creation of light in verses 2 to 5. Covering yourself with a light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent, curtain. We move to the second day, the separation of the waters, in verses 3 to 5. He lays the beam of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the cloud his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. He established the earth upon its foundations, so that it will not totter forever and ever. And then, last time, we looked at day three, the third day, the separation of water and the earth, in verses 6 through 18. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which you established for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over, so that they will not return to cover the earth. He sends forth springs in the valleys, they flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil, and food which sustains man's heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon which he planted, where the birds build their nest, and the storks whose home is their fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for the Shephanim. Now we come to the fourth day. And on the fourth day, we see the establishment of the seasons and the days in verses 19 to 23. Now, before reading verses 19 to 23 of Psalm 104, let's recap from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, the fourth day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the night from the day. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give lights on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. The psalmist says here, beginning in verse 19, He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appoint darkness, and it becomes night, in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to work and to his labors until evening. Notice that it is God who appointed the moon for the seasons, for the set times. For the feast days, interestingly enough, the t term there is the same term for seasons and feast days in Hebrew. The Hebrew year, of course, follows a calendar with a year of 12 lunar months. The first day of each new month was considered holy. 
And so the new moon was associated with the weekly Sabbath, and it was set aside as a special day. Unlike the surrounding pagan countries, for Israel, the moon was not a god, and it functioned under Yahweh's rule. That's interesting because, again, as I said, in pagan cultures, they worship the moon and even the sun. And that's of particular importance as to why, in Genesis chapter 1, in the historical accounting of creation, the sun and the moon are not mentioned. God made a lesser light and a greater light. Neither the sun nor the moon is a god, and both were created by God. Next, he says, the sun knows its place of its setting, or its going down. Again, all by God's design. God made the darkness and the night. And now, all the beasts of the forest creep about. God made the night as the specific time when certain animals would prowl about to search for their food. And of course, ultimately, their food is from God. As the night passes, what happens next? The sun arises, according to God's plan, and the lion's who were praying about in the night, return to their dens and lie down to sleep. It is now man's turn to get up and work. And so we have an interesting uh, symbiotic relationship there as certain animals are created to work at night and sleep at day, whereas we are created to work in the day and sleep at night. Notice the psalmist states that his labor, man's labor, is until the evening. God commands in Exodus chapter 20, uh, based upon what happened on the sixth and seventh days, so God commands, six days you shall labor, and on the seventh you shall rest. Ultimately, our work reflects the creative work of God. Uh, we see a recap of that in Genesis chapter 2 and 2 to 3. And so we see here with this recap of the fourth day that it is God who not only creates time, he controls time. He established the calendar, he established the days, the nights, the times, and the seasons. They are all his. Let's go on now to the fifth day in verses 24 to 30. The fifth day in verses 24 to 30. Now let's also recap Genesis chapter 1 beginning in verse 20. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, or excuse me, fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. The psalmist says, beginning in verse 24, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without numbers, animals both great and small. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed to sport in it, they all wait for you, you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Now, here we have in verse 24 a pause. He declares, Yahweh, how many are your works. You know, he's just taking a moment to declare the greatness of God's creation, to reflect on everything that he has covered, everything that he has said already, before going on to the fifth day. Now, it's interesting because here, this is the last day that he covers. 
he doesn't get or go on and deal with day six. It's almost as if, listen, I, I'm overwhelmed just in these first five days. I can't even move on yet to, ver- to, to the uh, sixth day. Uh, he continues, in wisdom you made them all. You know, this is reminiscent of uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. You know, when we look around at creation, we need to see God's wisdom and understanding. Creation works together in a very unique, as I said, symbiotic way that testifies to God's greatness, power, and sovereignty. Now, the psalmist continues, the earth is full of your possessions. Again, everything that God created belongs to him. Nothing in this world belongs to anybody in reality. It all belongs to God. Colossians 1.16 All things were created through him and for him. Everything is under his control. It is as if you can look throughout the entire world and God has placed the copyright on everything. Everything is stamped with his mark, his insignia, his trademark. And it all bears his name. In verse 25, he documents God's ownership of the ocean creatures. They come in various sizes. We have the sea monsters, such as the large Leviathan. By the way, the Leviathan was a very real animal. It is not a mythological creature. Uh, read, excuse me, read Job 41 for a very detailed description of this very real animal uh, that Job saw and uh, was aware of. But all of these animals, including the great sea monsters, wait for food and other good things to come from who? From God. Yes, God created animals with the ability to hunt and scavenger for food. And the fact that they do that is ultimately telling us they're relying upon God. Now, the psalm says if God hides from them, they're troubled because he controls their life and death. Everything in the ocean, everything teeming with life ultimately has life because of God. If he takes away their breath, they die. If he sends his spirit, they're born. In verse 27, these all wait for you. Why? So that they can receive their food in due season. Again, all of the sea life is cared for and provided for from and by God. They merely gather in what God has given them. As verse 28 says, you open your hand and they are filled with good. Again, they are troubled if God hides his face from them, uh, if he takes away their breath, they die and return to dust. And that's exactly what we see testified to in Genesis 2-7 and in Job 34 and verse 15. God gives life, God takes away life. Listen, death is not just a natural process. It's not a privilege that we have authority over. Death ultimately is in God's hand. God gives life. He makes the world new again and again. And we look forward to that future day which God will renew the face of the heavens and the earth. God is created, God is preserving, and someday God is going to restore to its create, original creative state. Verse 31 to 35, we have our benediction. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Uh, here in the benediction, the psalmist is blessing God. 
Let the glory of the Lord, let the praise of the Lord endure forever. And why are we praising the Lord? For his works, for his creative acts. May the Lord be glad. May he take pleasure in his works. God created the world and the world exists for him. He created us. We exist for him. And God's joy is seen in his continuing command of the earth there in verse 32. Uh, when he looks, it trembles. Perhaps a mention of an earthquake. Again, ultimately, how do those things come about? By God's hand. When he touches the hills, they smoke. Again, a reference to volcanic eruption. Verse 33, the psalmist makes a vow, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. In other words, I'm going to continually give forth praise to God. Uh, this praise is particularly in song. He asks that his meditations uh, would be pleasing or sweet to him. I like the word pleasing there. It's the Hebrew word for sweet. Uh, may my meditation be sweet to you, Lord, or be pleasing to you. And in response, I will be glad. And then notice this petition. Uh, may sinners be consumed. Literally, may sinners come to an end uh, from the earth. He repeats the phrase again, and the wicked be no more. Literally, the lawbreakers be no more. Uh, interesting, this is the only time in this entire psalm that he mentions anything about sinners or the rebellious. But uh, after contemplating on who God is and all that God has done, he sees sin as a destruction of God's creative work. And it sickens him. And that is why he prays, Lord, remove the wicked, remove sin, remove everything that is destroying what you created. And so as we recap this psalm, we see that God is active in his creative world. He not only created it, he continues to sustain it. Uh, you know, God just didn't make the earth and just leave and go on a vacation. He's, he's been actively at work. You know, the fact that a bird makes a nest and goes out and finds worms, that's God. When we see squirrels gathering nuts for the winter, that's God. When we think of those animals that pray at night to find their next meal, that's God. God's hand is written everywhere in creation. We must stop and look for it. We must take a moment of meditation in this created realm to see who God is and to see what God is doing. God is very active. But so often we've become so busy that we fail to see God. He orders everything according to his will. He establishes the cycle of nature. Listen, summer leaves, autumn comes. Autumn leaves, winter comes. Winter leaves, spring comes. Why? Because God designed it that way. Through nature, God's glory is seen. And may we look at nature. And may we praise God for all that he has done. You know, as well as we look at creation, not only do we see God's creative works, but we also see the destructive power of sin in this created world. We look forward to that great and glorious day when God, through his son Jesus, returns and begins removing sin and begins restoring this world to its Edenic state. When he wipes out all sin and destroys it with a great purging of fire. But then he recreates, he renews, he brings forth a restored heaven and earth that we will enjoy forever. A sinless, beautiful creation. 
designed by God's hand. Father, God, creator, we thank and praise you to be able to come to you in prayer. Lord, we are but a creature in this mighty creation. And yet through your son, Jesus, we can approach your throne of grace. We praise you because you not only created us, you sustain us and you sustain this world. You provide for us. You provide for everything in this world. You saw fit before the foundations of the earth were laid to set and plan a place by which all of these things would be automated. All of these things would be cared for. There is not anything that happens in this world that you are not directly involved in, that you have not brought about and caused to happen. And Father, we thank and praise you. Lord, whether we're looking at that squirrel darting around gathering nuts, or those birds pecking at the earth to gather worms, or whether we're hearing the howling of the creatures that pray at night, Father, we are reminded that they are doing what you have designed them to do. They are doing what you have sustained them to do. And it is a reminder to us, just as you created and sustained these little things, so you, will, you have created us and you will also sustain us. Father, we look forward to that great and glorious day when your son returns, when sin is rolled back. Father, that purging of the earth and the heavens. What a great and glorious day that will be to once again stand upon this earth in a sinless state. Not only us in a sinless state as your people, but sin totally removed, the effects of the curse totally removed from this earth. What a great and glorious day. And Lord, we look forward to that with great anticipation and we give you the praise. Amen.